Welcome to Doc Talk. This is episode number 43, and this is Allison Marchine, your host. So I am really excited about today's episode. Um, it is our visit again with Tony Fantasia, and I have to share this. So I got some great feedback, actually a couple couple bits of feedback, but the one that really, um, the first one I received about episode 42, which was titled Tony Fantasia, Information Warfare and Advanced Game Theory. I got a text message telling me, I forgot to tell you I listened to your Tony Fantasia podcast last week. Really good, exclamation mark. I was so excited. I am, you could probably hear it in my voice. I'm just really excited that uh, people are finding the work that Tony is doing and our discussion around that um, really useful. I know that Tony has also received some uh, positive feedback when I shared that on his personal page and people going out and checking out. So yes, that is a plug for episode number 42. And hopefully it'll encourage you to listen to this episode all the way through and get ready because episode 44 will be a continuation of our chat. So let's um, real quick, although, you know, November time around Thanksgiving is typically the time we focus on the season of giving or Thanksgiving, I should say, and gratitude. You know, you see all these things pop up on social media about being grateful, being thankful, moving into that um, that late November Thanksgiving spirit. You know, we should just be thankful and grateful every day. And I think we could all benefit from just jotting even three or four things down. I, I used to be in the habit of doing that and I've I've gotten out of it. But every day, write down three or four things that you're grateful for. Uh, because it's so easy to find yourself focusing and dwelling on negative, right? Especially in the world that we're living in today. Um, that's so easy. So I want to encourage everybody. And you know, if you're on the Facebook or in the Facebook group, it's called the Doctoral Collaborative colon venturing beyond a masters. It is it's a group. It's a private group. If you want would like to get in there, just look it up the doctoral collaborative colon venturing beyond a masters request to get in there and be sure to answer the questions because that's how you will be vetted. <laughs> um, but go in and, and write down a few things that you're grateful for. Right. So we we've moved from this this kind of dedicated season of gratitude, you know, based on our calendar, and we're moving into a season of giving because um, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ came to this world to save all of us from our sins. He was born a baby, he lived a human life, um, but he went to the cross to die for all of us. But this is a season of giving, and the best gift ever really is the gift of salvation. And that's what Jesus Christ offers anyone who's willing to receive it. And you know, a lot of people think you have to work and do great things. And you know, you have to work and prove your goodness to work your way into heaven. You know, yes, being good and doing good things for people is wonderful. But if you're unaware, let me just let you know that the gift of salvation is free. You know, Jesus gives us his gift of salvation at no cost. All we have to do is accept him and receive it. And then naturally, we just become better people than we were before. So in the spirit of giving, I want to share with all of you my top five go-tos, especially this year when it comes to 
gift giving. So just in practical terms, when it comes to giving gifts, I am all about practical. And typically that means giving things that are consumable or can be used and they don't just sit around and collect dust, which has happened in the past, but I'm all about let's give something that's useful to someone, right? So my top five this year, especially, um, are great for teachers, hostesses, friends, administrative assistants, anyone, just anyone you want to, to gift something to, um, who may not, or they could be in your family, but typically in my mind, I'm thinking of people outside of my family who I'm going to gift something to. Um, so number one is a homemade pecan pie. And of course, you don't want to give those to someone allergic to pecans or any sort of nut, but homemade pecan pies are always, well, typically, I don't want to say always categorically, but are typically really well received. In fact, I gave one the other day at a get together um, of ladies and they loved it. It's my mom's recipe that I've been using for years. So if you need that, hop on the doctoral collaborative Facebook page and or group, I should say, and just let me know if you'd like that recipe. Okay, that's number one. Number two, there is everyone needs to hydrate, right? So why not make it fun? We in our household love Thrive Thirst. Um, It comes in a couple of different flavors. Cucumber melon is the newest one, um, but it's also in a a grape um, berry sort of flavor. And I'll tell you, I was traveling a while ago, uh, back in October, actually, I went to out to Las Vegas for a, a function. And actually, it was a getaway with a company. And um, I was so happy to have been invited to, to participate in that event. But the day that I got there was extremely long, I couldn't check in till late at night. And I met with some friends, some old longtime friends that I met through the military. I met with them and they took me to dinner. Um, and while I was there, I was like, man, I am so, you know, I've been on a plane. I've been um, in this desert. It's kind of dry here. It's hot. And I'm guessing, if I'm not mistaken, there's some elevation there in Las Vegas. So I was really needing to hydrate badly because I hadn't taken the time to do that. Anyway, I thought I really want to pour some thirst in my water, but I don't want to do it if I don't have any to share. Fortunately, I had some to share and my friends loved it so much. They now are purchasing Thrive Thirst for themselves. So trust me, it's really good. Um, I especially like the Himalayan salt that's in there. Yum. Okay. Number three, anything ZOM. So if you're not familiar with ZOM, it's a clean I call it smell good company. They make everything from soaps um, with essential oils to oils to for your body to laundry detergent that smells amazing. My favorite fragrance is frankincense and myrrh. And their store, which is actually pretty tiny, but it has some really fun stuff in it. And their factory where they make all these yummy, yummy smell goods. Um, quite frankly, it I said yummy, but I'm pretty sure you could probably eat it because it is pretty clean. Um, So that is not far from me. It's down in Kansas City. And yeah, it's amazing. People love this stuff. 
The next one I'm going to share is Soak Away the Day Bath Bombs. Those are amazing. Um, nice big bath bombs. Melaleuca makes those and people love them. It's a very citrusy smell and it's very uplifting and I really recommend that one and I'm giving those as gifts this year. And finally, I'm going to recommend Thrive in Infinite Reparative Hand and Foot Cream because it actually works. It feels good and it smells amazing. My um, little one asked me when I was putting her in her car seat, "Mm, what is that that smells so good? (laughs) And I told her, I was like, it's my hand cream. So anyway, two thumbs up for fragrance and smell goods from my, my little one. Welcome to Doc Talk, where we discuss all things doctoral. Been there, done that? Then we want to hear from you. Want to be there? Want to do that? Then this is the place to be. Still trying to figure it all out? Yeah, so am I. So come on, let's do this. Let's venture beyond a master's. purpose of your dissertation? Like how, how will that contribute to what we are all experiencing right now? You had to develop a problem statement and a purpose statement. And the problem statement, as I see it, is that um, we make decisions strategically without realizing it or not. We make decisions strategically based on the information that we have about a given thing at a certain point of time. And if we become overwhelmed with information, which there's more information out there about any given thing than we can possibly comprehend at one time. So when we become overwhelmed via the cognitive overload theory, then we start to abandon our own personal interpretation and seek external interpretation that can more easily summarize what we're looking at and give us a nice, tidy little thing to consider to make a decision on is that what happens when people are led astray and also when people are on the right, on, on yeah. the right track? I don't. Information, information is both a tool and a weapon. It's both a means of attack and defense. Information is very quantum in its nature. Then it is both a particle and a, a wave. It just depends on how it's used and how it's observed and how it's uh, contemplated in the mind by any person or group. So, it's, it's Schrodinger's tool, you know, it, it both is and is not. It is, it is information and is not information until it is or is not. And then um, how we, there's a lot of theory and philosophy behind information and there's a lot of potential good and harm that can come from its use. And if we perceive something and we take the time to process it and we reconcile what we process against our gut emotion and we compare it to the history of things that that led us up to a decision-making point, then we say, okay, based on this information over time and my experience with it, I'm going to choose the left path or the right path based on my assessment. And that the more you do that, the less the, the, my theory is the, 
consequences of your actions are less unfavorable the more you consider the history of things leading up to that decision. If you don't have that process and you just rely on somebody else telling you what to think or what to believe about a thing, then you're making decisions with incomplete or inaccurate information. Now, journalists in the media, for one example, have proven that they use deception and lies in order to, quote unquote, get to the truth. But that created such a a competitive newsroom that it's highly possible and highly likely, in my opinion, that they've used deception and lies for other purposes as well, to either hide the truth of a thing or to present a falsehood about a thing, um, which are both deception strategies. And then you have to ask yourself why, and then you have to ask yourself who's holding them accountable. And then there's the whole gatekeeping theory and that they only let selected pieces of news through in certain formats. And then you have to ask why and how much news can be, can be corrected or retracted before that, that entity loses its credibility from any governing bodies. And then are those governing bodies doing their job? And if not, why? So I look at information and deception as a possible a possibility and a non-plausibility at the same time. That it both is and is not possible to be currently deceived. And with everything going on, you know, you, you have to look at everything and think, am I being one of those wacko bird, crazy conspiracy theorists that you know John McCain was talking about? Or is this legitimate? And does it does it warrant further research. Can you give some examples, Tony, of things that you saw happen? You've been following, you've been following some, some of these socio, how did you describe it? Sociopolitical and economic sorts of topics and ideas and events you've been following for a long time. Yeah. 16 years. I was going to say upwards of 15 years, if I remembered correctly. Yeah. Okay. So, so go ahead. From looking at let's let's look at uh, election cycles. Yeah, I w- uh, and you might be getting to this. I wanted to ask you what are some things that you have paid attention to since year one, and they have developed into what they are now. Yeah, how did well? What are let's, can you give us some let's examples? Go back to going back to uh, George Bush Jr. Um, and his his campaign against wasn't Dan Quayle who was it George Bush and Al Gore yeah and the whole hanging Chad fiasco in Florida yeah that was the first that there was a, a problem potential problems with the the voting system <clears throat> why is it not standard across every voting precinct why are there different ways to vote. Uh, with ballot on paper or electronically. And then as you get into the the Clinton years, you know, less less drama with the vote, more straightforward, the, the relatively uncontested. You get into the Obama years, you know, and there is a, a lot of things that came together to make that a, a historic election. But then you have the Romney versus Romney versus Obama the difference between their campaigns and the McCain and Palin 
fiasco, uh, and where it seemed like McCain actively torpedoed his own VP and his own candidacy at the very end of the election. Um, so you fast forward, you have Dominion voting machines and Smartmatic voting machines that are that are principally controlled by people like George Soros and other politicians. Now, I know there's politicians on both sides, but when you have people like Nancy Pelosi and her son, who are shareholders and sit on the board of directors for Dominion voting machines that are controlled by companies owned by George Soros, who is an active enemy of the United States and of the Republic and of democracy, uh, you have to ask yourself, how aren't these conflicts of interest scrutinized more closely when every other thing for every other party is? There's, There's nothing, a hypocrisy. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> nothing to see. Go the other way. Look over here. Um, and then on that note, you know, whenever you start to to dig deep in these things, then all of a sudden here's a shooting in Las Vegas and here's a here's a shooting at at some nightclub in Florida. And, and there's a lot of what appear to be distractions. The, the news cycle gets hijacked by these distractions. And all of a sudden, those things that should be a problem are no longer talked about. Um, I'm going to throw one out here that, that doesn't make any sense to me. But this the CDC stance on the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, mm-hmm. there are a ton of questions in my mind about this vaccine. Um, things that don't make sense, things about the vaccine being distributed versus the commonality vaccine that was approved but not being distributed. Um, And why other countries have stopped some of the exact same ones, but ours hasn't. Yes. That should be a red flag. But I wonder, where are people getting the info? People are not hearing this. Well, I don't think. It. Uh, no, no, no. I think there's some news that's not being shared if, by our people. That if you know where to look and you care to look at what other countries are doing, you will realize they've shut some stuff down that we continue to encourage people to um, take. One of my one of my research questions, one of my hypotheses, um, involves. Awareness of global events. If you're people, uh, people are, my theory is, my hypothesis is, one of them, is that people who are generally unaware of, glo- uh, of global current events and you are uh, of global history are more susceptible to influence because they don't know what little warning signs to look for. So they can just take something at face value and say, well, if it doesn't impact me right now at my home, then it's not worth paying attention to. But everything these days globally impacts us at home. We just don't pay attention to it because it's not right there in our face. Right. By the time it's up there in our face, it can be too late to do anything about it. Yes. Somebody described that as like people are in a war. They don't even know they're in. And you're you're sitting there like, eating your popcorn, watching your Netflix. And then all of a sudden you got these like people with turbo blasters coming up over the hill and boom, they're on you before you have a chance to throw your popcorn down and grab your, you know, your little 
pepper spray or something that you might have yeah. at your side. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your socially acceptable means of defense. Exactly. It's, right. Right. It's, it's a hard thing again to look at and, and read and see, and then try to reconcile with, is this really happening? I, I do believe we are in a world war three, but it's an information war. And because 80 or 90% of that war is taking place behind the screens, not behind the scenes so much, but behind the screens and ones and zeros. And, um, and because media outlets can be propagandized again, and, and their, their message is so tightly controlled and crafted that if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. And if you don't want to see it, you're not going to see it. But eventually, it's going to be at a point where it's going to be impossible to ignore. And how, how much freedom and personal civil rights and self-defense are we willing to give up before we realize that, hey, we're, we might be handing ourselves over our defenses, our our autonomy, we may be handing these things over every day out of fear of something that may not be what it, what it appears to be. And when you start looking at the, the current battle between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the people who believe that the vaccines are real versus the ones who believe that they're, they're doing more harm than good, um, it creates a social tension that most people are unwilling to embrace because it's too close to home. If they can remain detached and third party, then it's easier to render opinions and judgment on other people. But when it becomes, when it's in your living room and it's in your, your bedroom, it's in your kitchen, then it's too scary to contemplate and it's too uncomfortable to talk about. So most people that I talk to shy away from the conversation when it becomes personal. But if they can remain detached and 8,000 miles away, they can talk all day about it. And that's, that's the difficult, that's the social side of the research that is hard to quantify. You can, you can ask questions all day long, but the closer it gets to home, the less accurate and the less truthful the answers are. How will you go about doing that for the purposes of your, your research? I mean, You've just described that it's challenging. Have you come up with a way that you think is the most effective way to to the, determine the answers to that or get responses? Yeah, it's, it's anytime that you, as I as I see it, anytime you're dealing with the the principles of information warfare and deception within social sciences. It's a long-term process. It took us a long time to get to the point where we were willing to sign over our. What are you? What are you thinking? I saw your. your oh, your, I was just saying. It took us a long time to get to the point where we are now. <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and some would say decades. Some would say centuries. Some would say a millennia. That what we're what we're experiencing now, the reality that we have right now, what we perceive to be reality, has been shaped for us over our exposure to quote unquote facts and, and truth and literature and knowledge and news to, for us to form the worldviews that we have. But if we're going to recover from this and regain our interpretation and discernment and start making not just reasonable decisions, but reasonable perceptions of reality, it's going to take another lifetime 
to reinstill critical thinking and logic into our normal daily processes and to have a long-term exposure to what the truth really is so that we can acclimate to that. But I have a feeling that the reality that we perceive now is 180 degrees different from the actual reality, that we're not getting all the information that we need, that we're not getting all the knowledge, all the information, all the data, that it's, it's hand-picked and cherry-picked and delivered to us in a way that they want us to perceive without asking questions that would derail whatever motivations they have. So it's a long game. It's a, it's a long-term process. And my goal is to create information systems, access to information that uh, allows it to be easily accessed and reused. What is it? Information. Um, like the information that's not being shared? Any information. Oh, okay. I think all I mean, information shared. Yeah, all information exists. And I, I think most, if not all, information exists in some kind of digital form, um, but not all information does. Uh, I know that was a little bit of a, a herky jerky statement, but there's, there's explicit knowledge and there's tacit knowledge. Explicit knowledge is your your recordable, repeatable information. And that's, you know, do these steps in this sequence in order to get this outcome. That's explicit. The tacit knowledge is that instinctual uh, um, expert knowledge that we develop over through intuition over the course of, of our exposure to a certain job or line of work or, or interest. And that's what's hard to capture. But that's what we need. We need access to that expert knowledge. We need to know how to find it. We need to know how to reuse it in any, in any context, in any domain. So in order to do that, we need knowledge systems that are designed to take expert knowledge from a variety of domains and make them accessible and reusable. But we also need a improved general awareness of the world and of all the working pieces of the world. Now I know, you know, this much, but that's, and that's from 16 years worth of observation. I can't even pretend that I know all of it. I just know this much, but it's still more than most people know. When I talk to my wife or friends about current events, I mean, most of them are absolutely clueless about what's happening in China or Belarus or the Ukraine, much less what's happening in Austin or Oklahoma or California. Right. And one that comes to mind for me is um, Australia. Yeah. What's going on in Australia? I wish people would would turn on some, some uh, information sources that talk about Australia because I think... Australia has much deeper ties to the U.S. than people really understand that are... Our information infrastructure are they're part of the five eyes um, intelligence agencies the the five five countries across the globe that share intel resources and they're accused of actively involved in the 2016 elections and the the whole steel dossier and the, the fact that the steel dossier otherwise known as the pp dossier was just discredited by Steele himself and some of the other people who are coming out in John Durham's investigation 
it's been it's been con, uh, confirmed as falsified. But yet everything that happened from 2016 to 2020, Mueller's investigation, the impeachments, all sprung from that one document. So now, how do you how do you go back? over those last four years and assess the damage done by a document confirmed to be falsified by the person who created the document. And why isn't anybody talking about that? So then another theory is that news articles, news reports, they get airplay dependent on the nature and topic of the, 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 or the nature of the topic and the party affected by it. So there is, in my opinion, a, conspiracy that certain people and certain political parties are protected and others are hung out to drop across both parties. I'm not saying that I'm not taking any political stance, but if you want to affect, if you want to get a news article to circulate, if it targets a person advantageously to the mass, then it's going to get airplay. But if it, if it, it's an article that questions the story, then it's not, it's going to get buried. And if you look at the immigration disaster here in Texas, I mean, you've got thousands of people arranged on the border that are uh, Hispanic, that are Haitian, that are European, Somali, European. Um, there's under the, and there's the largest caravan in history heading that this way right now. That's an armed militia. And they, they've got weapons from the cartels and they're, you know, they're 200,000 strong marching towards the southern border. But there's no news reporting about it. Tony, that, that's, yeah. not, that's not happening. No, well, yeah. You know what's interesting? Um, well, maybe finish your finish your thought. I, I Sorry to, to uh, derail you a little bit, but I, I just had to throw that out there. That That's not happening. You live in tech. Nah, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, I don't just live in Texas. I live in San Antonio. We are the super highway for, for migrants and trafficking coming up from Mexico. Yeah. So we see, we see it. We see the, the rise in crime. We see the, the rise in child abductions. We see, you know, the, I have friends on the police force that see an increase in the, the violence and the crime and the drug trafficking. I mean, we are the super highway. Once they get up to, to 35 West and East, that's when everything in I-10, that's when everything branches out across the country. But we see it. We're here. So, you know, it's interesting, a, a lady, um, at, I met a lady this this week at the Y and she asked me, she said, you know, I know something isn't right, like something isn't right going on, but I don't know. She goes, I feel like we're we're being brainwashed by the news, but I don't know where to find what's really happening. Uh, and there is there is nowhere that I can send anybody that would give them what I consider to be the source of truth. There's, there, there's no way. Um, even on some of the, the underground channels, like on Telegram or on um, what, what used to be, what's now 8Coon used to be 4chan or 8chan. Um, every, every channel of communication has been infiltrated, hijacked, um, riddled with people and their opinions and theories that, that lend lend credibility and destroy credibility. So there's nowhere that I can send somebody that would give them the 100% source of truth. Um, so 
it's hard to say, here's what I think based on what I believe, based on what I'm seeing, because I have to develop my, my impression, my interpretation off of 40 or 50 different sources from everything from CNN and Salon to Fox News and Breitbart to everything in between. I have to read all of this and evaluate it against global events. What I'm seeing over in the UK, what I'm seeing in Australia, what I'm seeing in China and Russia, what I'm seeing all over the world, and then draw my own impressions and conclusions from that. It's a very laborious process and most people don't have the time or interest to do it. So when I try to tell them, here's what I believe based on what I see, then any one of those things by themselves has, you know, puts that tinfoil hat conspiracy moniker on. It's like, no, I mean, you're, I trust my assessment based on my processes more than I trust yours because you're getting your news from one source. And that one source can be, uh, can be, um, reinforcing your worldview on purpose. So how can I take your opinion seriously when you're, you're, you're just saying whatever this news anchor or this celebrity or this athlete tells you based on what I'm doing over 16 years of, of multi-source references. It's hard. So there's no, yeah, I can, oh gosh, I can't even imagine doing that, especially for your, for like a, writing a book practically at the end of all this. Um, my my advice to her as someone who's not writing, well, I'm not currently in the process of doing it and she isn't either that I'm aware of, but my advice to her was, hey, look, how does an everyday person figure out what's true and what what isn't true? I said, you know what? What I have found, because I've thought that as well, but what I have found over time, and I am, I don't know what I'd do if I'd been following this for 16 years, Tony. Honestly, I don't because I've been clued in for at least two, two and a half years. And you talk about the people who sit there and say, okay, things you t- you gave the example of the, the person who recognizes something's going on. And then you're like, but you still have to go to work, right? I can't imagine being there. <laughs> <laughs> we know we know every day that we're moving closer to and I'm as a Christian I believe the second coming of Christ. So we know every day we're getting close to Christ returning, right? So that's that we know, but when you look at everything in the world in the context of like the things that are going on that you've described, people mal- manipulating information, playing the long game, trying to get us to a certain point, I am so glad that I've only been thinking about okay, for the past maybe two and a half years, as opposed to 16 years, like, okay, so at what point do I, is it okay to tap into my food stores that are for a later date? You know what I mean? Like, and how do you, do I really need to buy this, this, um, this slip cover for the couch? If there's a threat of people coming in and hauling us off, like they're doing in Australia? Right. Yeah. And like, time. like, do, is it better to spend money on having food stores or do I really need a new slip cover for the couch? Because apparently it's taking a long time for people who actually buy new couches to get new couches um, to arrive. So like, what do I do? Do I put it towards extra food and water and preparing or does it even matter if I have a slip cover for the couch or not? If you know, we, People really need to look into what's happening to Australia right now and the Australian people. It's awful. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is I told her, I said, listen, the way that I go about it, one of the ways is 
if I can see footage of what is happening, then you can't tell me that it's not happening. So there's a guy, I don't know if you know Ben Berkwam. He's on Real America's Voice News. He physically goes over the border. He stands there and records the stuff going on. Look, he holds it up. These are the instructions that people have been given a map instructions about take your identification card in different languages, take your identification cards out, drop them here and follow this map to here. And this is what you do to get into America with no problems, no questions asked, right? That kind of thing. He goes over the border. He films, picks up these identification cards, picks up the papers that are telling people what to do to get in. And then he comes back over the border. I mean, it's a dangerous thing, but there are independent news people who are out there putting their lives on the line to bring us the receipts. Like, how can anybody willing to look at that say that's not happening? Um, Another example is James O'Keefe comes to mind right now with Project Veritas. Basically, if folks listening, if you aren't familiar with Project Veritas, Veritas means truth. um, But Project Veritas is basically candid camera for bad people, like candid camera catching the bad guys. They have gone out and they have caught people. They have, they're so good at what they do. All these things that people say are, are untrue, are conspiracies, um, aren't happening. They have people they are able to, to actors, actresses, whatever, to, to get in, infiltrate, and they bring the receipts. There are recordings of these people and what they're finding out. There's no way you can look at that and tell me that the person from X pharmaceutical company never said that. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I'm very passionate about that. But my recommendation to folks listening is if you don't know where to go, find out people who are actually bringing receipts and look at, listen to them and go and get the information. James O'Keefe and Hannah Giles back in 2008, I think um, they exposed the acorn organization using the very first instances of public guerrilla journalism. And they posed as a pimp and a prostitute and they had a a hidden camera and they recorded a person at Acorn teaching them how, as a pimp and a prostitute, to get federal money for their work. And that wound up bringing the entire Acorn industry, the Acorn uh, social advocacy program down. Can you share uh, with Acorn what, what that is? Acorn was, uh, and I'm not an expert. This is, I, I bet my best understanding is they were a, a community advocacy program where underserved populations could go and get help navigating through the federal systems for things like financial assistance, for food, for, you know, access to services, um, highly, highly important. I mean, and I don't believe that the entire organization was fraudulent. I, I believe that they help people, but like every good organization, some or part or you know all of it was hijacked to a certain degree and was used to also facilitate crimes and criminals. And James O'Keefe and Hannah Giles, they presented themselves as a pimp and a prostitute, and they had a hidden camera, and they were working with a caseworker in the Acorn um, office. And this on video got her telling them how to 
how to bypass certain certain safety protocols and certain checks in order to get basically welfare for being a pimp and a prostitute, how to get taxpayer dollars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it was, it, it was a, enough of a conspiracy that they shut down. Now, if I shut down, I don't know if that means they basically just changed their name and went off to become something else, but that's, that was the first case of it. And then um, somebody else from Project Veritas filmed the, 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 one of the chief executives of Planned Parenthood got her on camera discussing how they were selling aborted fetal baby parts on the black market for a variety of different things, up to and including vaccine research, uh, but also for use in the fast food industry. And you know, oh, yeah. there's, <laughs> they, they put a huge target on their back. And just recently, O'Keefe's ha- uh, home was raided yeah. because... The FBI was looking for, I believe it was Joe Biden's niece's diary. I think it's um, that, uh, his daughter, his daughter, Ashley. Daughter Ashley. Yep. yep. Her, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, her, her diary with, with some very, very questionable content about the, the conduct of Biden and potentially Hunter Biden himself. So they, they believe that that all came from, uh, from James O'Keefe, but they uh, uh, apparently their search turned up nothing. But it's it's that kind of thing, you know. They're they're looking for sources of questionable information to shut it down and to take it out of the news cycle. This is your host Allison Marchine, and I'm so glad you were here. And I'm looking forward to the next time. Let's do this again.